Welcome and thank you for joining us for the Church by the Glades podcast. If you would like more information about Church by the Glades, including service times and directions, visit cbglades.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Church by the Glades, how you doing this morning? Is anybody glad to be in church right now? Oh, I know you're some people that love Jesus because you made it here despite the rain. Why don't you give yourselves a round of applause? I'm proud of you. For those of you that may not know who I am, my name is Pastor Charlie Hughes. I have the privilege of leading the young adult movement here at Church by the Glaze called Rally. So if you're here and maybe you are a young adult between the ages of 18 to 30, let me invite you, come rally with us this upcoming Friday at First Baptist in the heart of downtown Fort Lauderdale. It's going to be an amazing night. We're calling the night Rally is Complicated because relationships are complicated, right? So whether you're in a relationship, a situationship, whether you're lonely or in love, Friday night is the night for you. We'd love to have you. It's going to be a powerful time of worship. There will be an encouraging, impactful message shared. And there's also going to be an after party following the service where there will be hundreds of young adults who would love to be your friend. We had 650 young adults at the last rally in the city. But there's always room for one more. So we'd love for you to come rally with us. But I have the privilege of being able to deliver the word of God today. And I want to start our conversation this morning by asking you a question. Have you ever faced a difficulty on your way to destiny that made you reconsider how much you really desired your dream altogether? Anybody? Like ever since I was a kid, I've known that I wanted to be a pastor. I've known that I wanted to be a preacher. And it's my belief that if your doctor who cares for your temporary physical body has to go through extensive training and formal schooling, then your pastor who cares for your eternal soul, should probably get some kind of education also. So uh, I'm in school right now, but I would be lying to you if I did not say to you that there have been moments as I continued to get my education when I thought to myself, am I sure that I really want to be a pastor? (laughs) Like, am I sure that I really enjoy this preaching thing? Like, am I completely, totally convinced that ministry is what God wants me to do with my life? Because school can be hard. The process can be tough. Getting equipped, getting an education can be difficult. Do not be surprised when you face difficulty on your way to destiny. Conveniently, The title of this sermon this morning is How to Deal with Difficulty on Your Way to Destiny. We just finished a teaching series here at Church by the Glades entitled Everything is Fine. Did anybody enjoy that teaching series? Wasn't it amazing? My dad, Pastor David, and many others graced this stage and they brought some amazing sermons and they taught primarily out of the Exodus story. Now, I was not invited to be a part of the teaching series, Everything is Fine. So I feel like getting some revenge today, and I want to preach out of the Exodus story. Is that all right? (laughs) Open up your Bibles to Numbers chapter 13. We're going to start in verses 1 and 2. This is the part of the story where the Israelite people have just been led out of Egypt by Moses, and they're getting ready 
to scout out the land that God has promised them. Numbers chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, read this. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Skipping down to verse 17. When Moses sent these spies to explore the land of Canaan, he said to them, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or pure? Uh, are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land, for it was the season for the first ripe grapes. Skipping down to verse 27, the spies come back and they gave Moses this account. Moses, we went into the land to which you sent us, and good news, it does flow with milk and honey. It's amazing. Here is some of its fruit. But bad news, Moses, the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Verse 30, then Caleb, one of the spies, silenced the other spies and people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. How many know you need some Caleb's in your life? Verse 31, but the other spies, the other men who had gone up with Caleb to explore the land said, Caleb, shut up. We can't attack those people, for they are stronger than we are. You know, it's interesting. It's funny. Before they ever even went to explore the land that God promised them, Moses told these 12 spies to anticipate difficulty. He told them, to expect difficulty in the form of people already living in the land when they got there. But yet still, when they showed up to the land, they were shocked by who they saw and even began to act like they forgot that the land was promised to them. They started treating Canaan, this, this promised land, like it was the suggested land instead of the promised land. They were like, hey God, uh, thanks, but no thanks. We're good. We saw the people there. They're big. They're scary. They're intimidating looking. So uh, what we're all right is, is, is going back to Egypt still on the table. They would have rather returned to Egypt as slaves than fight their way into what God said was already theirs. Oh, let me say it like this. They would have rather returned to the stability of their slavery than deal with the difficulty attached to their destiny. They said, wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? Yeah, we were slaves, but at least in Egypt, we knew where our next meal was coming from. Yeah, we were slaves, but at least in Egypt, we had somewhere to lie our heads at night. Yeah, we were slaves, but at least in Egypt, we did not have to fight any battles and Pharaoh took care of our basic needs. Was it really so bad? Maybe we were better off back then. Maybe we should go back. Don't miss this. 
because of what appeared to be a dangerous uncertainty in their future, they romanticized a dysfunctional familiarity in their past. It's really hard not to go back to what is dysfunctional but familiar in your yesterday. When the difficulty standing in front of you today makes living in God's dream and destiny for your life tomorrow appear more like a fantasy than an actual possibility. It will get you thinking, yeah, that workplace I left was toxic, but at least when I worked there, I had a paycheck coming in. Yeah, that, that friend group I've left and distanced myself from, yeah, that, that they led me to making poor decisions that I now regret, but at least when I used to hang out with them and go out with them, I wasn't by myself all the time. Yeah, that relationship I ended was, was abusive to say the least, but at least when I had them, I wasn't spending Valentine's Day by myself. Hit too close to home. Was it really that bad? Maybe I was better off back then. Maybe I should go back. Your enemy will do everything in his power to make you miss your past, to make you miss out on God's plan for your future. And hear me, just because something is familiar does not mean that it has to be part of your future. In fact, I'd say if what is familiar is the only common denominator among everything you've tried that has not worked to improve your life, increase your joy, or raise your hopes or expectations for tomorrow, then what is familiar is probably, most likely, definitely what needs to go. Experiencing difficulty on your way to destiny does not mean that it's time to rewrite history or retreat to familiarity. No, it means that it's time to start remembering correctly. You've got to remember right. Somebody say, remember right. My dad is the pastor here at Church by the Glades, the senior pastor that is, and he told me a story a little while back about how Many years ago, there was an open position on the church staff, and there was one staff member who many people assumed my dad would ask to fill this vacant position. This would have been a promotion for this person. But the thing is, my dad thought that the position this person was already in suited them best. So he did not have in mind to promote them. My dad told me that weeks went by, and he noticed that this particular staff member wasn't quite acting like themselves, so he called this person into his office and he asked them, what's going on? To which this person replied, Pastor, I got to be honest with you. I thought you would ask me to fill this position. Others told me they thought you would ask me to fill this position. I'm, I'm just a little frustrated and confused. Why didn't you ask me to fill this position? To which my dad replied, look, I'm sorry you feel this way. But at any point in time during which this position has been opened, did I ever once tell you or lead you on to believe that I was considering you for this position? He said this staff member took a moment, thought to themselves and looked at him and said, you know what? You're right. You never once told me that. You never once said anything that would lead to me believing that. I'm good. And he said this person left his office and continued to work on the church staff for many years, doing great work with a great attitude. 
I share this story to say, I think sometimes we get frustrated with God over things that he's never promised us. As a pastor, people will come to me complaining about how hard it can be following Jesus. And as they continue to tell me about what they're disappointed about in their lives, I can tell that they're upset with God over something that God never told them to expect. Oh, come on now. God never promised you that if you start dating his way within six months, you'll meet your future spouse. God never promised you that if you start serving at church on Sundays, then Mondays will be easy from here on out. God never promised you that if you start to give and tithe and be generous, then you'll get that raise or win the lottery. God never promised you that. God never promised you an easy road. He promised he'd never let you walk alone on a difficult one. God never promised you a life without problems. God promised you a life where you never have to face a problem without him. God never promised you that no weapon would be formed against you, but God promised you that no weapon formed against you would ever prosper. God never promised the Israelite people that the land he had for them would be empty. God promised the Israelite people that no matter who may be in the land when they show up, it would still be theirs for the taking. Oh, I feel like doing a little preaching this morning. There is a difference, church by the glaze, between owning something and occupying something. What the Israelite people failed to realize was that the people who were chilling in the promising when they got there did not own the land. They were only occupying the land because God said that the land belonged to them. Oh, it, it was really that simple. Seems like half of you aren't convinced. Let, let, I don't, I don't, let, let me break it down further. Maybe this comes a little bit more naturally to me, maybe because I'm still currently living at home with my parents, trying to save money to hopefully one day in the next hundred years or so buy a home of my own in this crazy <laughs> South Florida housing market. So being Knowing the difference between being an owner and an occupant, I'm no stranger to this concept. If you're here and you too live at home, my guess is you too are no stranger to the difference, the undefeated difference between being an owner and being an occupant. Allow me to explain. You see, my dad owns a house. He is kind enough to allow me to occupy a room in said house. Thus, my dad's level of claim to the house as its owner is far greater than my level of claim to the house as just an occupant. Anybody tracking with me? And there is no time when this dynamic is greater on display in the Hughes household than when as an occupant of the home, I decide to make an occasional trip to the family living room. It just so happens that the seat in the living room that I prefer to sit in is the same seat in the living room that my dad prefers to sit in. So if I walk in the living room and no one else is there, I may choose to take a seat in that seat. But if my dad walks in the living room, even after I do, and he wants to sit down, you best believe that I'm going to get up and get out of that seat. Because as only an occupant of the home, I am well aware and fully respected as the owner of the home. My father has the full right and authority to kick my occupant behind out of the home, let alone the seat we both like to sit in. Are there any parents I'm preaching to in this church today?
before they ever even went to scatter out the land, God told them that the land belonged to them. Meaning they were its rightful owners. So whoever was squatting in the land when they got there was occupying the land on borrowed time. Very soon they were going to have to get up and get out because God said that the land belonged to Israel. If only the Israelites would have remembered right. I get the people in the land were big. I get the people in the land were tall. I get the people in the land were strong and intimidating looking. And that without God on their side, surely it would have been an impossible battle for the Israelite people. But I just wish that this impossible battle would have jogged the Israelite people's memories and would have caused them to remember that this was not the first time that they found themselves in an impossible situation with an unstoppable God. If only the Israelites would have remembered right. You would have thought that after God sending 10 plagues on Egypt to free them from slavery, splitting a Red Sea in half for them to walk through, and guiding them through the wilderness with a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, that the Israelite people would have had enough confidence and would have had enough memory of God's power to serve eviction papers to whatever unwelcome visitors were living in the land when they got there. Oh, if only the Israelites would have remembered right. They looked at the fight in front of them and they thought that there's no way they could win it on their own. But if they just would have remembered right, they would have recollected that God told them that if they just trust in him, their battle was already as good as won. Who knows, but if the past, if, if how God had provided, and if how God had protected them up to this point was any indication of the future and how God was going to continue to do the same, then who knows, maybe it was never even part of God's initial plan for the Israelites to lift a hand to get them into the promised land. Because they did not have to fight, they did not have to claw, they did not have to scratch, they didn't have to bite to get out of Egypt. And all God told them to do in Numbers chapter 13 verses 1 and 2 was to explore the land and God said that he'd be the one to give it to them. Maybe all God wanted the Israelite people to do was the exploring of the land and he'd be the one to do the evicting of the land. All I'm saying is crazier things had happened up to this point. If only they would have remembered right. If only they would have remembered right. If only they would have remembered right. If the Israelites would have just remembered right. They would have remembered that Egypt was not as great as their enemy wanted them to believe. God promised the land already belonged to them. And they were more familiar with God's faithfulness and more acquainted with God's power than they initially even thought. If the Israelites would have just remembered rightly, they could have approached their difficulty differently and they could have spent the rest of their lives living in destiny, but they didn't. They didn't remember right. So as necessary punishment for their unbelieving unwillingness to enter the land that God promised them, and as the natural consequence of their forgetfulness of God's faithfulness, in Numbers chapter 14, verse 30 through 34, God says this to the Israelite people. Not one of you will enter the land that I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb and Joshua. As for your children that you said would be taken as plunder, I'll bring them in to enjoy the land that you have rejected. 
But as for you, your bodies will fall in this wilderness. Your children will be shepherds here for 40 years, suffering for your unfaithfulness. Until the last of your bodies lie here dead in the wilderness for 40 years. One year for each of the 40 days you explored the land, I promise you, you will suffer for your sins and know what it is like to have me against you. Because the first generation of free Israelites were too afraid and too unbelieving to enter the land that God said was theirs, God took the option away from them altogether and said that only their children would be allowed to enter the land after 40 years of wandering the wilderness. Now we know that God is not in the business of punishing children for the mistakes of their parents. So I have to think that the reason God also had the children of Israel wander the wilderness, even though he said he would eventually let them into the land anyways, it's because sometimes you have to wander until you begin to wonder. I think God also had the children of Israel wander the wilderness because God was determined to make sure that the doubt of Israel would die with the parents. Through their wandering, God was ensuring that the children of Israel would have greater memories of his power and greater memories of his provision and greater memories of his faithfulness than whatever dysfunctional familiarity they were born into in Egypt. So that way when their time would eventually come to step into the promised land, they would not make the same mistake as their parents. Whether you like it or not, God will keep you wandering and waiting as long as he thinks is necessary because he knows that only time alone and away with him is what will cause the impossible to finally seem possible to you. God knows better than any of us ever will that we must be distanced from our past to begin daring to dream about our futures. You may have left that traumatic situation. You may have left that painful experience. You may have left Egypt in your past many years ago. But it's in this time of wandering, it's in this time of waiting that God has had you in for quite some time and there's no end in sight and it's felt like forever, but it's in this time that God is getting Egypt slowly but surely out of you as frustrating and as infuriating as a time of waiting and wandering can be, I want to encourage you, it's actually doing you a favor. Because if not for your current wandering, and if not for your current waiting, you never begin wondering, and you never begin believing, and you never begin dreaming, and you would have eventually found yourself doubtfully squandering your opportunity to live in God's blessing. When you are more influenced by God's power than the inputs of past problems or experiences, then whatever difficulty you may run into in the way, 
on your way to living and what God has given you a dream to accomplish will be nothing more to you than just another way for God to prove his power to you on your way to living in his promise. I want to tell someone this might be why God brought you to church today. This might be why God encouraged you to brave through the rain and make it here. Don't waste your wilderness because it's your time in the wilderness waiting and wandering that God is doing something in you before he does a great work for you. Don't waste your wilderness. Leading us to Joshua chapter one. This is where I'll close. Many years have passed. Moses is dead. The 40 years of the children of Israel wandering and waiting in the wilderness has finally come to an end. And God is giving Israel's new leader, Joshua, permission to enter the promised land along with a piece of instruction. Joshua chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. Read this. I will give you every place where you set your foot. As I promised Moses, your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. No one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Joshua, Israel, as I was with Moses and your parents, so I will be with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. But here's the piece of instruction I really want you to pay attention to. Verse 6, so be strong and courageous because you will lead these people, Joshua, to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and courageous. If I could just be honest with you, I don't fully know what that means. Be strong and courageous. Like, I don't know about you, but this almost sounds more like a motivational speech on God's part than practical advice and instruction for combat. If I was Joshua and I was about to enter the fight of my life and the only advice God gave me was to be strong and courageous, I would have been like, thanks God, but you got anything else? That, that's the best you got? Be strong and courageous. How do I even go about doing that when the enemy in front of me is so formidable and so intimidating and so scary? Strong and courageous? What does that even mean? I don't really know. But at the very least, I have to think that being strong and courageous must mean doing the opposite of what the weak and worried you would do. You might be here today and you might not know what it's like to be strong and courageous. But if you're a human being like me, with a breath in your lungs and a pulse in your body, then oh, you know what it's like to be weak and worried from time to time. Not that you asked for it, but Here's the Charlie Hughes translation of what I think God was saying to Joshua when he told him to be strong 
and courageous. Because Joshua was one of only two of those 12 spies that Moses sent to scout the promised land. And he and just Caleb were bold and believing enough to want to enter the land that God said belonged to them. Joshua was only one of two of that first free generation of Israel. He was only one of two of the parents of Israel that God was allowing to enter the promised land with the children of Israel. Don't miss this, making Joshua a living representative of both Israel's presence and Israel's past. So I think God was saying to Joshua, when he told Joshua to be strong and courageous, hey Joshua, hey Israel, don't do what the weak and worried you did last time you were in this position. And I can just imagine Joshua looking at the land God had promised him from a distance, noticing the same people still living there that scared his now dead friends out of what God had for him 40 years earlier. And his fear began creeping in and his doubt began whispering. And as the temptation to run back to Egypt began knocking, trying to reintroduce itself, I can just hear Joshua saying, on behalf of Israel's present, thinking about Israel's past, the weak Israel would've. The worried Israel would've. The weak Israel would've retreated by now. The worried Israel would've back down by now. The weak Israel would have waved the white flag by now. The worried Israel would have wanted to run back to Egypt right about now. Good thing that's the old Israel. Good thing that's the dead Israel. Because now standing on the verge of living in God's promise and after 40 years of waiting and after 40 years of wandering and after 40 years of experiencing God's protection and provision and faithfulness, I know in a way that you can't convince me out of that God is with me. So you're looking at a new Israel. You're looking at a strong Israel. You're looking at a courageous Israel. You're looking at a bold Israel, a believing Israel. And that's an Israel that you can't stop. I don't know what difficulty is trying to keep you from your destiny. I don't know what trouble is trying to get you to give up. I don't know what temptation is trying to get you to give in. I don't know what tribulation is trying to get you to stop short of all that God has for you to step into. But what I want to tell you, to tell that trouble, to tell that temptation, to tell that tribulation, to tell that difficulty is, the weak me would've, but that's not me anymore. The worried me would've, but that's not me anymore. That was the old me. That was the me that didn't know Jesus yet. That was the me that didn't trust God yet. That was the 2023 me. Oh, you're looking at a new me. You're looking at a different me. You're looking at a dangerous me. You're looking at a strong me. You're looking at a right remembering me. You're looking at a me that's been doing some wondering. You're looking at a me that's been doing some dreaming. You're looking at a me that's been wandering around 
the wilderness long enough and is ready for all that God has for me. Oh, you're looking at a me who knows that if God is with me and if God is for me, then who dare be against me? Oh, are there any strong, courageous people that I'm preaching to in this church? Don't you dare let difficulty deter you from your destiny. Don't you be afraid. Don't you be nervous. Don't you be worried. The weak you would have, but that's not you anymore. Be strong, courageous. The Lord will be with you wherever you go. Give the King of Kings to the Lord of Lords some praise in this church. Oh, is anybody starting to remember right? Is anybody doing some wondering? Come on, give us some praise. If you're able, please stand to your feet. How do you deal with difficulty? Remember right. Don't waste your wilderness. Wander well. Wander and wait until you begin to wonder. Tell the weak you, tell the worried you, you've had your day, your time is up. You're looking at the strong me. You're looking at the courageous me. You're looking at a new me, a different me, a dangerous me, a bold me, a believing me, a right remembering me. The version of me that God has called me to be, that has known me to be before I ever took my first breath. God has a dream, a unique plan for every single person in this room. Let us not be like the parents of Israel, but let us taste and see and experience everything that God has for us in this life. Jesus Christ did not just die on the cross so that one day you will spend eternity in heaven with him when you die, but so that way right here and right now you can live a life of significance, meaning, and purpose. If you're here today, don't yet know for certain and for sure that you have a relationship with Jesus, then I encourage you once I pray, come down to the edge of the stage and talk to a prayer partner who can walk you through making that decision. Pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your provision. Thank you so much for the unique dreams and destinies and plans that you have for every single person under the sound of my voice. God, you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't switch up. You don't change up. God, you've been good in the past, so you're good right now, and you will be good tomorrow. So God, don't let us forget that easily. Help us remember rightly, so that way we can live in the destinies you have for us. God, I ask for that people would wander well, that God, they would not waste their wilderness, and that God, because that they would start to dream again, that God, they would start to wonder again, that God, they would start to believe again, and that God, we ask for that we would say goodbye to the weak and worried versions of ourselves so we can start living as the bold, believing, strong, and courageous people you have created and called us to be. It's in Jesus' name that we pray to together. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's message. We hope you enjoyed the podcast today. To hear more messages like this, make sure you subscribe and share with your friends. Don't forget to stay connected with us by following us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CBGlades at Pastor D Hughes.